0: Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, who reveals yourself to us. And I pray during this time now, you would speak and your name would be glorified and lifted high. I pray we would be encouraged and inspired and challenged and have your way in our midst, I pray, as we read your word and as I preach. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So with the exception of Jesus, Uh, A man, the Apostle Paul, might be the most influential man in history. Might be, with the exception of Jesus, this guy Paul might be the most influential man in history. He certainly was an, an amazing Christian who did awesome things for the church. He wrote half the New Testament. He planted many, many churches in Europe and in Asia. And he preached the gospel and saw many people convert and turn to believe in Jesus Christ. Um, So he's a wonderful example to us as Christians, this this man, the Apostle Paul, who was originally called Saul. He changed his name later in his life. But how did Paul, or Saul, become a Christian? How was his life transformed so he believed in Jesus Christ? We're going to read in a one-off sermon this morning the story of the conversion of Saul. It's an amazing story. It's actually told three times in the New Testament. Um, So it must be an important story if it's down in the New Testament three times. The story of how Saul or Paul, this zealous Jew, became a Christian and believed in Jesus Christ. So if you've got Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. And if not, don't worry, because the words will appear on the screen. And I'm going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19, the story of this conversion of this man Saul. a Tarsus named Saul for behold he is praying and he has seen a vision Uh, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight but Ananias answered Lord I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptised and taking food, he was strengthened. So Saul, at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, is a Christian hater. In Acts chapter 8, the chapter before, Saul has watched and approved As Stephen has been stoned to death for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, Saul watched and was happy with what was happening in Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 9, the very next chapter, this man Saul is breathing in threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This man breathes in and thinks, I'm going to kill the Christians in Jerusalem and he breathes out and thinks if there are any Christians in Damascus whether they're men or women I'm going to bound them up and take them back to Jerusalem to be tried that's the start of the story in Acts chapter 9 isn't it this man breathing in imagine his heart imagine what's going on in his mind that his very breath betrays him and reveals him to be a wicked man who wants to persecute and murder Christians Now that is a remarkable start to this man's conversion story. And the truth is there isn't a conversion story out there that better demonstrates how gracious our God is. We believe in a God of grace. And that word grace means unmerited favour. It's an undeserved gift. It's something that you have not earned. That's what grace is all about. And our God is a gracious God. He loves to give gifts to people who don't deserve gifts. He loves to show favour upon people who do not deserve to receive favour. In 1 Timothy, after this story that we've read, um, this letter that Saul writes to another pastor of a church, to, to this man Timothy, Paul, uh, Saul describes himself as the worst of sinners. He describes himself as the worst of sinners, And in some ways, he's not wrong, is he? Looking at the start of this story, he's a murderer. He's a persecutor of Christianity. He hates Jesus. His very breath shows him to be an evil, evil man. And yet, we've just read a story of how God, in grace, saves this man Saul offers this man mercy calls him to follow Jesus and not only is Saul converted and called and saved in this story he's also given a purpose and a mission he's described as a chosen instrument of God in Acts chapter 9 just think reflect for a moment on God's love and God's grace you know it says in Romans that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Now consider that verse in the life of Saul. While he was still a sinner, while he was in this place of murdering, of hating, of persecuting Christianity, God's love went out to him. His grace went out to him. He had not deserved this love. He had not deserved this salvation. He had not deserved this grace. He was... He was. The worst of sinners, he was as far away from Jesus as it was possible to be and God showed him grace in his life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Do you know the same is true? Of every single one of us, if you're a Christian, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ's love went out for you, and God showed you grace and has brought you now into His salvation. You have not deserved it. You have not earned it. But God has shown His love for you when you were in that place, that darkest of places. As so I want to say to you, if you're if you're not a Christian here this morning or you're watching online thank you so much you're so welcome I want you to know this there is nothing you have done in your past that disqualifies you from the good news of Jesus Christ there's nothing that you have done in your past that can disqualify you from receiving the love of God God shows grace to all Who believe in Christ and call out to God for mercy. Christ is merciful even to the worst of sinners, like Saul. And so, if you aren't a Christian, and you're thinking, I, I can't go to church. I, I can't possibly become a Christian. You don't know, Duncan, what I've done in my past. I would say, look at this story of grace in the life of Saul and believe that there is grace for you also. Put your faith in Jesus and receive <coughs> salvation. But I think this story of grace challenges Christians as well. I want to speak to us as Christians. Firstly, I think there are some of us who believe in grace for salvation, but not grace for Christian living. You know, there are people, there are Christians who think, God won't, God can't use me. I'm not a very good Christian. I've not been a good Christian. I've lied. I've been selfish. I've not prayed. I know I'm saved. I know there's enough grace in God to rescue me, to save me into salvation, but God can't possibly use me. I, don't, I wonder whether you've ever been in that place or even if you're in that place right now, thinking, yes, I believe in grace for salvation, but I don't believe in God's grace and power in my life to use me. Well, if that's you, have a look at verse 15, where this man Saul is not only saved, but God's grace is lavish upon, upon him. It extends beyond salvation into purpose, where he's given a mission by God. And so I want to say to you, if you're a Christian and you believe in grace for salvation, but you're struggling to believe in grace and the power of God, that God might actually use you, don't rule yourself out. Don't rule yourself out from sharing the gospel. With other people. Do you know in the verses I didn't read that happened straight after this this message that I read, Paul is out there sharing the gospel, preaching to new people, sharing Jesus Christ. His life is transformed from the darkest, most difficult, most awful places, and he's immediately telling other people about Jesus in Damascus. So don't rule yourself out from sharing the gospel with others, don't rule yourself out from praying for people. Don't rule yourself out from starting a great charitable work or a small charitable work where you're just loving and showing kindness to people who need it. Don't rule yourself out from serving in a particular ministry. Don't rule yourself out from really standing out in love in the workplace. Believe that God's grace not only is for your salvation, but also for purpose and for mission. He loves you that much that he wants to use you and bless you in his mission. It's my first challenge to Christians. Believe in grace for salvation, but also believe in grace for purpose and for mission and for serving God. But also another challenge for you Christians. If God is so full of grace, as is shown in this story, should we not also be abounding in graciousness towards others? Are we quick to forgive? Are we people who bless and pray for our enemies or the people we might not get on with so well? Are we desperate to love and care for people who the world says don't deserve your love and your care? This is what it is to be gracious. If God is so gracious towards Saul and God has been so gracious towards us, should we not be living out that same graciousness in our own lives. I think that's my prayer for myself this morning. Lord, give me that kind of graciousness to love and show mercy to those people the way that you love and care for people in such a gracious and amazing way. There are, it's true, many Christians in this world who fail to be gracious, who are bitter and judgmental and quick to hate others. And you know the root cause of that? The root cause of that bitterness and that hate It's because in their heart, they think they're okay with God because of their purity and their own uprightness. That's where that bitterness and anger and hate towards others comes from. It comes from a place of thinking, I'm okay. I don't need God's grace. I've earned my place in his presence. I'm I'm in church because I'm a good person and I deserve to be here. And that works itself out by judging others and and not being gracious towards others, hating others when they fail to live up to your expectations. But in this church, we aren't legalists, are we? We know, every one of us, we're saved by grace. Not one of us deserved what Christ has done for us in dying on the cross and rising to new life. And so we're saved by grace. We don't come here to church because we're the good people who deserve to be here. We come because Christ has died for us. We come because Christ has risen from the grave for us. We come because of grace. And if we cling to that grace in our hearts, I guarantee that the Holy Spirit will work with that and transform the way we are to others, show that we show grace. So if you're thinking, actually, I don't know whether I'm a very gracious person, focus on the grace you have received in Christ. And allow that to work itself out from you. So this man, Saul, who was breathing threats and murder against Christians in verse 1, journeys to Damascus. He's going, of course, to find new Christians who he can tie up and punish. And as he approaches Damascus, an amazing thing happens. A light from heaven shone around him. And he falls to the ground and Jesus speaks from heaven directly to him. Now Jesus is revealed in light in this story. And light is a symbol of goodness and of purity. We talk about good overcoming evil using the metaphor of light shining in the darkness. That's a very Christian metaphor. And so when Christ shines his light upon Saul on the road to Damascus, I think this is kind of what's happening, isn't it? The good is coming and conquering the evil that's in his life. So light is a symbol of goodness. But light is also a symbol of purity and light also exposes truth that 's what light does. If, you, if this room was completely dark, you wouldn 't know what was going on here. You might be able to hear my voice preaching, but you wouldn 't know whether there were anyone in the room. L- light comes and exposes what 's going on in a place. You know the other day, I was driving my car, and I got in, and I thought the windscreen was pretty clean, and I started driving to where I was going, and then I turned the corner, and suddenly the sun shone on my windscreen. And it revealed that my windscreen was by no means clean. It was horrifically dirty. And I couldn't see anything out the front of my car. So I kind of wind down the window and like leaning out to see where I'm going. I probably should have pulled over and cleaned it. But it was just, you know, when the sun shines on your windscreen, it just reveals how dirty it is and you can't see anything. You thought you were okay. But then the light shines and you realise that you weren't okay. Well, that's the way God works in our lives. His light shines and reveals his purity and his goodness and when we come into contact with his purity and holiness and righteousness it starts to reveal things that are not quite right in our lives. It starts to reveal the dirt on our windscreens of our lives and again this is what happens to Saul. He thought he was the most zealous one, he thought he was the righteous one, he thought he was doing God's work in persecuting the Christians and then the light of Christ shines And he goes, who are you, Lord? He he realises something's being revealed. The truth is being revealed in this moment. And so again, I say, if you lack grace, if you're not a very gracious Christian, spend time with Jesus. Ask him to shine his light on your heart, to shine his light on the windscreen of your life. And, and maybe he can also be the windscreen wipers and clean you up and get you ready to go and show grace in the world. Spending time with Jesus, being, being exposed to his holiness and his goodness helps us grow to be more and more Christ-like as the light shines in our hearts. So time, spend time in prayer. Get down on your knees this afternoon and say, Lord, I just want to meet with you. I just want to encounter you. I just want to be with you and for your light to shine in my life. Do you know, um, in the Lord's Prayer, one of the things we're called to pray is forgive us our sin. And so when we have a real relationship with God and we meet with him in prayer, we should be asking God for forgiveness because he's revealing by his light the things in our lives that aren't quite right. It's it's the way Jesus taught us to pray. We're to ask for forgiveness. So I I just encourage you to have those moments where you humble yourself before God, invite his light to expose truth, and you say, Lord, forgive me. For the things I've done wrong, and change me in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this light shines, Saul falls to the ground, and Jesus speaks. And this is what Jesus says in verse 4 Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Why are you persecuting the church? Or he doesn't say, Why are you persecuting my people, my disciples? He says, why are you persecuting me? When Christians are persecuted, it is Christ himself who is being persecuted because Christ so identifies with his people. I'm going to teach you some theology now, um, some doctrine. When When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you. And when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you, what he does is he spiritually unites you to Jesus Christ himself. This doctrine is called union with Christ. So the Spirit comes to dwell within you and connects you like a branch of a tree is connected to the trunk. So when the Holy Spirit dwells within a Christian, you are spiritually united, connected to Christ. You are spiritually united to Christ's death. Do you know that on the cross your old self died in a spiritual sense? Because you're spiritually connected to Christ's death upon the cross. That means your old self is dead. And you're spiritually connected to Christ's resurrection. When he rose from the grave, the Holy Spirit spiritually connects you to that so that you died with Christ on the cross and you rose again so that you are a new person in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is this is spiritual union with Christ through the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And you are also part of his body you are spiritually connected to Christ he is the head of the body and you are the hands the legs the feet the fingers and the toes each and every Christian in this room is spiritually united to Christ the doctrine of union with Christ and so brothers and sisters I want you to know that you are part of Christ which means if you are persecuted it is Christ who is being persecuted. That's what Jesus is is teaching Saul, that Saul is persecuting Christ himself because of our spiritual connection, because of our union with Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? Just think of yourself for a moment individually. You are united with Jesus. You are in a sense part of Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And then think of the church and think how we're all spiritually united together because we're all joined to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a lofty thought. This is an amazing thought. That's why Jesus says to Saul, you're persecuting me. That's an identity that we can live with by the way. I'm spiritually united to Christ. I'm part of Jesus, my savior. In verse 7, the men hear what's being spoken but they don't see anything. Saul is blinded, it says in verse 8. And so the men around him pick him up and lead him to Damascus. And he stays in Damascus three days. He can't see anything. He doesn't eat anything. Presumably, he spends those three days praying, completely humbled by what has happened to him, completely transformed by this moment, desperate for God to reveal more to him, so that he might understand, so that his sight might be restored, but he might understand what's going on. Now in Damascus, God speaks to Ananias, verse 12, God speaks to Ananias, go and find Saul, lay hands on him, so that he may regain his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit, Now, Ananias responds exactly how I would respond if God spoke to me and said, go and pray for Saul. I'd be like, Lord, this is madness. What are you talking about? This guy has been killing Christians in Jerusalem. He's come to Damascus to bind up the Christians. Why on earth would I go And be with him and pray with him to regain his sight. I don't want him to regain his sight because that way he can't see me. I can stay hidden and he'll never find me. It's it's utter madness, isn't it? To go and speak to the guy who's come to murder Christians. Imagine if there was someone in Phaerum who was famous for killing Christians and I said, Right, guys, what we're going to do as a church is we're just going to go and knock on his door and and pray for this guy. You would go, No, Duncan, that's nonsense, that's foolish. Let's just, we'll meet, but let's just. But this is what God says to Ananias. Um, In verses 13 and 14, I kind of paraphrased, that wasn't the word of God there, but I kind of paraphrased what's happening in verses 13 and 14 when Ananias is saying, God, no, this is absolutely crazy. And yet, when God tells him to go again, what does Ananias do? He obeys and he goes. I wonder whether you're obedient to obey even the hardest of commandments in your walk with Jesus Christ. I wonder whether there's someone in your life who if God said, I want you to go and speak to him or to her, you would go, no, thank you, God. I don't want anything to do. I wonder whether you can think of someone who actually think there's no way I would share the gospel with that person because they would just throw it back in my face or they would do something awful to me. And and if you're in that place, we'll reflect on Ananias and his faith, his obedience to do what God has told him to do. And maybe even pray for an opportunity. That's faith, isn't it? That's bold, isn't it? Lord, I pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with the person I'm thinking of right now, who actually, if you told me to go, I'd be terrified of it. It might even be a close friend or family member. Sometimes the people you're closest to are the people it's hardest to share with. Pray for an opportunity. But don't pray and expect God not to answer. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. And so if you pray be prepared to be obedient to what God is calling you to do, just like Ananias is, I love Ananias, he only, he gets a short section here in in chapter 9, but I just love that he, even though he tells God that it's madness, when he's told to go, he does actually go, and he prays for Saul, and he receives his sight, and he's baptised, and he eats some food, but I just want to, focus for a moment on verses 15 and 16 this is where I'm going to finish focusing on verses 15 and 16 where God reveals to Ananias what Saul's purpose and mission is to be from this point onwards and in one sense Saul is given a unique call he's called to be an apostle And God's grace in his life meant that he really did preach Christ to Gentiles, to kings, to Jews, the children of Israel. And he really did suffer on many, many occasions. So in some senses, verses 15 and 16 is a unique thing for Saul. I just want to read, if you don't think that um, this man Saul or Paul ever suffered, let me just read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. This is what went on in Paul's life. As an apostle, this is what he writes in the letter to the Corinthian church. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. So he's not boasting. He's, he's kind of, he's talking about the things that he's done, Um it sounds like boasting when I take it out of context but anyway um, I have far greater labours far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers danger from robbers danger from my own people dangers for Gentiles danger in the city danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Do you see in those verses, Paul went on, Saul went on to suffer terribly in his life as an apostle. Imprisonments and beatings and lashings and hunger and thirst and shipwrecks and, and starvation. He really did suffer for the name of Christ. And it, so in one sense, verses 15 and 16, where Ananias is given, this is what Saul is to do, is a, is a personal thing for Saul. But in another sense, Saul's mission teaches us, much about the Christian life and what we are called to do. The first thing I want to focus on from those verses is the words chosen instrument. Like a surgeon chooses a scalpel to help with surgery, so God chooses Christians and uses them for his purposes and his glory. I wonder whether you've ever thought of yourself as a chosen instrument of God. That's a very privileged position. God has chosen you. He's equipped you with what he needs you to have. It's a privileged position to be chosen by God. But it's also a very humbling and helpful way of identifying. I'm a chosen instrument of God. I'm just an instrument. God brings the hard work. God does the clever stuff. He just uses me how he sees fit. I think it's a great thing to think of ourselves as a chosen instrument. And Maybe you want to pray this morning. Lord, today I want to be your instrument. Use me how you see fit that's a great prayer to to wake up in the mornings and pray lord i want to be your your instrument this morning make me a saxophone make me a piano and play me or use me according to your glory and your purposes the other thing is that um, saul's not just a chosen instrument but he's a chosen instrument of mine says god he's a chosen instrument of mine we belong to god All that we are belongs to him. That's how much of an instrument we are. We belong to him. And that might sound like a terrible thing, to belong to God, but it's actually a wonderful thing because God is a good God. He loves you so, so much. So to belong to him is a glorious thing. I belong to Christ. I'm his, and he can use me as he wants, but I know he will always use me for my good because that's how good that he is. The second thing I want to highlight from verses 15 and 16 is that Saul is to carry the Lord's name. You're a chosen instrument, but you're also a carrier of Jesus's name. Wherever you go, because you are spiritually united with Christ and connected to him, you carry Christ's name. You're an ambassador for Christ in your workplace, in your family, in your street in which you live. Wherever you go, you carry Jesus's name. So live and act in a way appropriate to being someone who comes in the name of Jesus Christ. Declare Jesus' name to the people around you. Declare his power and his authority. And most importantly, declare his salvation to the people around you. You are carrying his name. Well, where are you carrying his name to which people group, to which groups of people, friendship groups, where are you carrying the name of Jesus in your life? You go with an invitation to those people. Don't say this, but you, you could say, if you're feeling really holy, you go, I come carrying the name of Jesus to invite you to become a citizen of heaven. Now, don't say that, but that's the idea. That's the idea. We go in the name of Jesus to bring him, to invite them into the kingdom of heaven. You might say something a bit more like this. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. I'd love to tell you more about that over a coffee. Or I'd love to invite you to church on a Sunday so you can hear more. You know, I, I, I really do know Jesus and love him. And I want you to know and love him as well. You know, something a bit more casual. But, you know, we go carrying the name of Jesus And so you're an instrument, you're God's instrument, chosen instrument, but you're also a carrier of Jesus' name. And the third thing that we do need to talk about is suffering. When we act in faith, when we carry Jesus' name, it will result in suffering. Perhaps not the same kind of suffering that Saul endures in his life, but there will be moments of rejection where you invite someone and they say no, or where they don't want to listen to you talk about Christianity. There will be times of embarrassment. It is sometimes embarrassing to talk about Jesus. You just feel embarrassed because we live in a culture that some people think it's crazy to be a Christian in this culture. So sometimes you will feel rejected. Sometimes you'll feel embarrassment. And of course, acting in faith and carrying Jesus' name always comes with a sacrifice of time and energy. If you, can th- if you think you can just casually carry Jesus' name, then you haven't understood what it is to be a chosen instrument of God. Look at the way Christ loved us. He sacrificed himself upon the cross for us. He gave up his very life for us. And you know, as Christians, as we go carrying the name of Jesus, we are to make similar sacrifices to love the people around us. And when you make sacrifices, that inevitably leads to some level of suffering. And so I think we can learn from those things uh, in our lives that we're called to be chosen instruments we're called to carry the Lord's name but we need to do that knowing it could easily it will lead to suffering in our life. The story has a wonderful happy ending. so sight is restored he's filled with the Holy Spirit he's baptized and he eats and he spends time with the disciples at Damascus. I would have loved to have been there at those kind of gatherings when Saul walks in the door. <laughs> and half the room goes, oh no, he's come to get us. And the other half go, no, it's okay, he's, he converted. He, and everyone goes, what? Tell me that story. I wonder how many times he told the story of Jesus meeting with him on the road to Damascus as he spends time with the disciples. Those he came to arrest and kill become his closest friends his church family, whom he loves and cares for. It's an amazing transformation story. And I finished where I began. It's a story about grace. And so we've sung so many times about grace this morning. I told Joyce when I was preaching about grace and I think he put it in every single song, which is amazing. We've sung about grace over and over, that God shows grace to people who don't deserve it, that God saves sinners who don't deserve to be saved, that God loves us. He loved us from eternity. He loved us while we were still sinners and he loves us now. He loves to continue to bless us and pour favour out in our lives that we do not deserve. And so I hope as I draw to a close, that you believe in grace for salvation, but you also believe in grace for purpose and mission, that you, because of God's grace, can be God's chosen instrument. Maybe because of God's grace, you can have the boldness of Ananias to do the crazy thing and go and share the gospel with that person who you've always been scared to share the good news with. And I pray you would know that you have union with Christ. You are his hands and feet. You are spiritually connected to him. And so I'm going to close in prayer, thanking God for the amazing grace that he has shown to us and praying those things into our hearts and our lives. And then Jeff is going to come and lead the rest of our meeting. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for grace. Each and every one of us has done things wrong. We have not obeyed your commandments. We have not been righteous. We have not been perfectly good we desperately need your forgiveness we have not earned salvation in any way but you are a gracious God Christ thank you that while you we were still sinners you died for us and so we thank you for salvation in Jesus's name that we have received not our own doing not our own work but your grace and power in our lives and Lord I pray that your grace and power will continue to work in our lives, not just for salvation, but equipping us and empowering us to live for you and serve your mission, your purpose. I thank you for Saul, who became Paul, who became one of the most influential men in history because your Holy Spirit was leading him and driving him and transforming him and changing him. And I thank you that that same Holy Spirit works in our hearts today. That same grace that transformed his life can also transform our lives. And so I pray that we would be your hands and your feet that we would be your chosen instrument, that we would be people who carry the Lord's name wherever we go, that we'd live in the name of Christ and speak the name of Christ to our neighbours and the people around us. Lord, we don't pray for suffering, but we know that it will come. And so we pray that you would equip us with boldness and strength to go through those seasons of difficulty as we obey this calling upon our lives. And Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit not only equips us and transforms us, but also spiritually unites us to Christ. I pray that that spiritual unity would be reflected in our church in the way we love one another. And I pray we really would live out that identity of knowing we are you, and when we are persecuted, you are being persecuted. So we thank you, Jesus, for that amazing mystery of spiritual connection to you, spiritual union with Christ. I pray we'd always live as those who are connected to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit.